Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Table Talk, a conversation on race. It's great to be with everybody on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Today is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, and it is February 22nd, 2023. My name is Erwin Lopez, and I am the co-chair of the Beloved Community Leadership Team, which works alongside the Bishop's Anti-Racist Task Force. And the goal of our webinars, the goal of our podcast, is to bring awareness to the anti-racism work in the Florida Conference and also to equip and support those who are integrating anti-racism into their ministry and lives. And because we believe anti-racism to be an act of discipleship, this is how we love God and how we love neighbor. And so for today's podcast, we're very excited to have Dewey Williams. Dewey was actually a classmate of mine when I was in seminary at Duke Divinity School, and he was one of the most gentle, kind people that I was able to study with. And I recently found out that he wrote a book. And so I wanted to highlight his book. I wanted you to hear from him. He's always been such a, a gentle soul, such a kind person, and such a strong leader for our church. And I wanted to just spread the good news of his book. So if you want a copy of his book, we're going to send you a link, and we will be happy to provide the first five people who send us an email about his book or interest in his book will provide a free copy for you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about his book. He's recently wrote a book called Finding Joy on Death Row, Unexpected Lessons from Lives We Discarded. And as a pastor, he comes with a, a ton of experience. He's a pastor of Mount Bright Missionary Baptist Church in Hillsborough, North Carolina. And he's also a doctoral student at the Samuel Dewitt Proctor School of Theology at Virginian, Virginia Union University. And like I mentioned, he's a graduate of Duke Divinity School. And in 2017, Dewey's sermon series, Joy on Death Row, won the top award at Yale Divinity School Theology of Joy um, in the Good Life competition. And so we're excited to have Pastor Dewey here with us. And so it's good to see you, Dewey. Thank you so much for taking time to tell us about your book and congratulations on publishing your book. So, <laughs> well, thank you. It's good to see you too. It's been a while since we've uh, crossed paths, but it's always good to come into your presence, even though it's virtually. Um, and uh, hopefully, in days to come, we'll be able to see one another, one another again. But thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, it means a whole lot to me. Yeah, well, I guess I'll just. Go ahead. I, yeah, no, I'm thankful for your time, and it is really good to see you. And um, I just want to invite you to tell us about your book. Tell us about your process. Tell us about um, what inspired you. So the floor is yours. Well, thank you. Um, well, really, this whole thing is a, a God process. This was not something that I engineered it's not something that I constructed and I tried to put in order and put in place and, and put in the building blocks to make it happen. Uh, really, this is a story. The title of the book is Finding Joy on Death Row. And many will think this is a book about the men and women on death row and how they found joy. But it's really a story about how I found joy by God sending me to minister to the men and women on death row. I started this process. I was frustrated, disappointed. I wasn't doing ministry the way I wanted to do ministry. I wasn't, I wanted to pastor a church and that wasn't happening. And I was volunteering and doing a lot of things. I was, I was working. I was doing work with kids with 
with uh, behavioral problems and their fam working with their families. But I wanted to pastor and it and it wasn't happening. So I was I wasn't feeling the joy in my life. And uh, I decided at the uh, the beginning of 2016 that I was going to do everything about joy because I just wanted some joy in my life. And I decided I'm going to study joy. I'm going to try to find out how joy works. And then I want joy to happen in my life. And I was volunteering, doing some prison ministry. And a, a, a man came to me as a part of the group I was doing the ministry with. And he said, we're getting ready to start going to death row and doing ministry on death row. And um, he was a white guy. And he said, we don't have anybody black going with us. Will you go? Because we just think it's important to have some, some black faces going in with us. And I checked my calendar and I was available and I went and um, I was there and I, I they wanted me to do a, a talk about uh, forgiveness. And I did that talk about forgiveness and the lead chaplain for the for the prisons was there. And after that, we had a break and she came over and she said, uh, I have a problem. The man that's been preaching on a regular basis, one of them has can't do it any longer. Can you start coming and preaching in prison that would include coming to death row? And I said, sure, I wasn't pastoring. <laughs> you know, there was no reason for me to say, no, I can't do that. And so I started simply not by my design, but I think God just set that up. And, uh, and I started going and I was researching joy and I found this research uh, project at Yale Divinity School called uh, Joy in the Good Life. And uh, they asked preachers to send in a series of sermons on joy, at least four, no more than six sermons. And I did five sermons on death row about joy. And I said, well, I'm going to send it in. I thought it had no shot of, have, of winning the competition because you know, you normally don't think about death row when you think about joy. Uh, but I said, there is an appeal there, though. And I sent it in, and lo and behold, they asked me to, uh, they 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 awarded me the, the top honors with that competition. And then later, I got an email saying, will you come and speak at our conference on joy? And I got to go, and I, and I was getting the men to write about my sermons and as I did that, I decided, well, when I go to present at Yale, I'm not going to just do a, a message. I'm going to take some of these men's writings with me and present them at Yale. And I did a presentation at Yale, and 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 I'm not saying because I was good. I'm saying because what the men wrote was good. Uh, people were captivated by it. And after I finished my presentation, the director of communications for Yale Divinity School came to me and said, this needs to be a book. <laughs> and that kind of got the process started of, of writing a book. And, and so that's where, you know, it all kind of started with that man saying, this needs to be a book. And, uh, and I found out quickly that publishers want, uh, want more than just some writings. And so I had to do my story and I felt my story of being low and going to death row 
and having the men initially the men and then later the women speak into my life i thought that was a compelling story so the book is my story of how how i kind of was not connected to joy how i engaged and participated with the men and women on death row and how the joy that they had impacted me and the message is is that regardless of how low you may be joy is stronger and more powerful and more resilient uh, than what you may face in your life. I thought I'd start off by uh, reading from the very first, the introduction of the book, which kind of sets the tone for what to expect in the book. Uh, and so I'm going to read just a, a few little excerpts here uh, from the first few pages. Page one says, in October of 2016, I found myself in conversation with the man sentenced to die. He was on North Carolina's death row for shooting and killing his girlfriend at point blank range with their infant son in bed beside her. Um, later I write, my attitude at the inception of the experience I share within these pages reminds me of my elementary school self a boy who needed glasses but didn't realize the severity of his handicap until he put on his first pair of prescription eyewear. The chaplain's invitation to share faith with men sentenced to death came at a point in my life when I was ready to give up on ministry. And here, as I faced my hopelessness, I got a chance to preach. Looking back, I understand it as an invitation for me to journey forward in my own life. Then I said, the aforementioned man convicted of shooting and killing his girlfriend with their infant son in bed at her side sat beside me during a break. As we snacked on refreshments, he shocked me when he said triumphantly, I have decided that I am not on death row. I am on life row and I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live my life every day the best way I can. That man shook me to the core. Here I was kicking myself in my behind for not being where I wanted to be. And here he was on death row, and he changed the whole dynamic of his existence by saying, I'm not going to allow this situation to rule over me and make me be less than human. He says, I'm on life row. I'm going to live my life. And so I left there that day with that testimony in my life. And I said, if he can have that kind of triumphant living, so could I. And uh, and so he changed my life. That man changed my life uh, that day and, and started me in a new direction. So I, I started preaching on death row. And then I did a clinical pastoral education piece with UNC Hospitals. And they allowed me to do 10 hours a week in the community. Uh, so 
I asked if I could go back to prison. And I did. And I went back. And I got to go to death row. And I sat down and had the men and later the women write about my sermons. I did something most preachers don't do. I asked them, do you agree with what I said? <laughs> and most of the time we just hear sermons and, you know, <laughs> we accept them or, you know, even if you don't agree with it, you never get a chance to say, I don't agree with that. But I, I gave them a piece of paper and I, I put down, I had 10 quotes for my five sermons and I asked them, did they agree with the quote that I gave them? And I said, if you say yes or no, put down why you agree or don't agree. And so after that, I told them to write on the piece of paper the word story and underline it, and then to write a story from their life, either in prison, on death row, or maybe before, that, that validates why they said yes or no about the statement that, that I had, um, had given them to write about. And so for uh, several months, I got to go every week and sit down with them. And I, I gathered over 200 handwritten responses to my sermons from the men and women. Eventually, I got to go to the women's prison and meet with the women on death row. I had over 200 handwritten responses, totaling over 33,000 words. Uh, and so that's a lot of that's a lot of feedback. <laughs> you know, on your sermon. And, uh, and so I, I had this and I printed, presented some of that at Yale. And I thought today I would just share a few of the excerpts from what the men and uh, what the men had written to me uh, in response to my sermons. The uh, first res response, I, uh, let me give you the quote that I had that I, uh, I gave them to write about. The term joy in its dictionary definition means the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. That means something happens and the thing that happens makes you feel good. Christian joy has another definition. Christian joy is an assurance that God uses circumstances to bring believers good feelings that rest not on events, but on God's work in their lives. The difference is that Christian joy understands that God, God is intentionally working to bring us joy as opposed to joy being dependent on happiness. And I have a response from uh, John McNeil. He went by the name of Mac. That's what everybody called him. And uh, he wrote that he agreed with it. And that I, I'm just going to share his story that he wrote. And the the imp one of the important and powerful things about reading their writings, their their grammar and their spelling is not always perfect. And and so you get drawn into reading it. And so I'm going to read it and I'm not going to read it verbatim. Actually, as they wrote it, I'm going to read it as I interpret them, what they're saying. There's a few words that are misspelled and, and they don't use the right tense in the word. I'm going to, I'm going to try to fix that up so it makes sense. So Mac wrote, I committed a sin 
that would never be forgiven for murder. But I re read the Holy Bible and the word of God said he would forgive all sin. But one, did I commit the unforgivable sin? Reading the book and I read God's holy word, I could not put it down because once you taste God's word, it is sweeter than honeycomb. That is when I found out that I was forgiven of all my sin. I've been reading God's word ever since and apply it to my life and tell others of his uh, greatness. Thank you, Jesus, for the joy you brought to me. The devil meant evil for me, but you are truly the joy of my life. And and when I read that, I just I just stopped and said, "Wow, <laughs> that was a, a powerful reading that I I just had to." I said, "Somebody needs to read that besides just me. Somebody needs to see that besides this one person." Yes, I needed joy, but I said somebody else could be blessed by that. Let me read another quote, um, and and a response that we had in one sermon. I had the quote. I asked the men in the sermon, can there be joy in lockup when you are confined by someone or something else? Is it possible to enter into a joy-filled existence? And I have a response from uh, George Wilkerson. And George Wilkerson is one of the brightest, most intelligent and gifted people that I've ever met. He's on death row. He he's kind of the what I've called the jailhouse theologian, and he has good theology. He really does. Uh, but people, the the uh, the other men look to him, and they realize he's real well read, and he makes sense. And here's what George wrote uh, in response to that. He uh, he said, "This is in this is where he tells his story apart." George wrote more than everybody, and I'm not going to read all that he wrote. I have like several pages on the, just, just in this response. But here he said, God created us as individuals with unique personalities, but he also designed us to be part of collectives, marriage, family, communities, etc. It is through the various relationship dynamics, my humanity finds full expression. So here he goes to say that uh, there, there can be joy, but it has to be in relationship. And, and so that really showed how much he knew about what he was writing about and how important it was. I'm just going to share one more and hopefully that, I don't know if that ends our time, but uh, I, did a sermon from when uh, Jesus turned the water into wine. Uh, but what happened was they had run out of wine. They had wine and then they ran out. And I talked about when you don't have what you want, you often feel vulnerable. And that family felt vulnerable because they wanted wine and they didn't have it. So here's my quote. When you don't have what you want, 
you are vulnerable to ideas and words that draw you toward despair. You will start to speak unkindly to yourself, saying you are inadequate, inferior, that you are by birth or upbringing less of a person than what is needed. Worse yet is to hear that from someone else. And so I was in a small group, four men, and I, I wanted them to respond to that. And Terry Hyatt came to me as the men started writing. And he said, Dewey, I only started learning to read and write when I got on death row. He said, I can read pretty good, but my writing is really slow and, and I can't quite get it good. Will you write for me? So I dictated as the other men were writing, he spoke to me, we went over to the side and, and I wrote for him. And uh, Terry's, uh, let me get to his, his response, uh, get to the right page. He, he spoke into me because, you know, I was feeling vulnerable. I didn't have what I wanted. And here he is writing about vulnerability. Vulnerability is a fact in my life because of my own ignorance. I adopted the idea that it was all right to not learn to read and write. And little did I know at the time that I was not opening a door to a brand new world. For years, I kept it shut, just like I did with the Lord. Now that I have opened those doors, they have both opened up a brand new life. The world sees vulnerability as a crutch, but after coming to know the Lord, vulnerability is a great prize to strive for with the Lord. Uh, it's, it means you are dependent on him. My grandfather, whom I looked up to, could not read and write, and I thought it was okay. All you need was a trade. You did not need to know how to read or write. As I grew older, I learned I was crippling myself, which made me real vulnerable to grab hold of anything. But now that I have come to know the Lord and have learned to read, I realize it is one of the great blessings and tools that he allows me to use get to know him better. It sure don't mean that I'm perfect now or ever can be in this body, but that will come one day. When I come face to face with him, I will be what he has made me to be, his adopted son. If you want proof of this, just look in the Lamb's book of life and you will see my name and I hope yours too. And so here's this man who recognized his vulnerability was all wrapped up in, in not being able to read and write, uh, but he, he used it as a tool to try to find a way. And once he learned to read, he wanted to read about the Lord. And so that's just a few of the excerpts from their reading my story is all in the book and my struggles. There's some very uh, difficult times in my life 
where my sister, uh, in a in a spell of mental health uh, problems, killed our father, and I included that in the story. And then also the death of my daughter is in there, and how difficult it was when uh, my daughter died for me and my wife and our struggles. And so there's a lot of pain that I've had that I put in in the book that all led to me being very low, but also how joy overcame all of that. And so that's kind of the essence of the book, but I really want everybody to know, I don't care how low things may be, how bad things may seem, joy is stronger. The walls of prison are thick and strong and they're meant to hold people in and hold people down. But joy found a way in through all of that into their lives. And now joy has escaped through their words so that others can hear what uh, they have to say. So that's the essence of the book. And hopefully there's a message for someone that's hearing this today. Well, I appreciate your time doing it, And thank you so much for sharing about your book and about your experiences. What a powerful season of your life. Um, yes. What a powerful season. I have some questions that I'd love to ask you um, just so we could follow up a little bit because I'm right. fascinated by your story. <clears throat> First, I want to ask about this sermon that you preached. Can we find that online somewhere? Can we read that somewhere? <laughs> the five sermons, the, uh, the five sermons that won the awards are supposed to be on the website, uh, findingjoyondeathrow.org. There's supposed to be a button with the sermons. When I looked at it last week, all of the sermons were not on there. Uh, and so uh, you should be you should be able to find those five sermons. Uh, if they're not up there now, they should be up there pretty soon. Okay. Yeah, we'll be sure to send the link to that as well. And you said it was findingjoy.org? Findingjoyondeathrow.org. Deathrow.org. All right, cool. Yeah, I want to hear those sermons. <clears throat> well, the, this they're not. Um, this is just the written sermons. Okay. One, um, I had to submit one video uh, to Yale, and of course, you can't take video equipment into prison. So I preached one sermon uh, at a local church in Durham, and. I asked the members of that church to imagine they were in prison as I preached. And, uh, and that is, on, that is on YouTube. Um, and that sermon is, is called the recovery of joy. And so that is one that you can, uh, see. I'm preaching next week on joy. And I think I'm just going to study your, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put the commentaries aside and just, just study your, your book here and study your sermons. And um, don't be surprised if I quote you a couple of times. Uh -oh. You see me on TV somewhere and we're like, wait a minute, that's, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm interested in this journey of joy that you took. You said that you were on a, during a low season of your life and you wanted to find out about joy, learn more about joy. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey? Where did you start? Were you reading books? What, 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 that, what did that journey look like? Yeah, I was, um, you know, started off by reading books and I was going online, reading everything, researching. I was looking to find uh, people that I trusted. And so, you know, I 
I've purchased probably about 25 books on joy during that journey. And so I was just trying to get everything I could. And so I, I had all these books on joy. I was looking online and that's where I came across the, the, the program at Yale, the program in joy and the good life at Yale divinity school. And so I was just trying, I wanted the comprehension, but more than that, I wanted joy itself. And so, um, so that's kind of how it got going, uh, by really wanting it, uh, in my life and everything I did in that year, every time I preached, every time I taught my wife and I, we did a marriage retreat and, uh, and the title of the marriage retreat that year was the joy filled marriage. And so just everything I, I did was about joy. I said, I'm just going to I'm just going to be absorbed in all of this talk and communication about joy. And then I asked, I was asked to go preach on death row. <laughs> and I'm like, what do I, what, what kind of joy do I take? You know, what, what are, what, what do they have? What will they listen to? What will they expect? It just, and the door to be there was God's opening completely. And so that was kind of the journey. And I, you know, I was, I was low. I was like, the things that I wanted to do, the things that I wanted weren't happening. And I was just like, Lord, I, I just don't understand all of this. And, uh, and there really, I was in a funk, maybe technically a depression. And, uh, and it was there that God uh, took me in the direction that God took me. Were there any quote stories or books that stand out to you? Let's say somebody is interested in kind of starting that journey of, you know, kind of kind of getting out of depression and that journey of joy. Was there any particular moment or book or quote or anything that really stands out? Well, probably the most profound uh, uh piece that grabbed me was our our former professor Willie Jennings uh, from Duke Divinity he's now at Yale um, but really he was doing uh, this was was online I found him online doing a talk about joy and his his speaking about joy just captivated me and he said in his talk, that joy is God's pushback against despair. And he said that when we allow God to push back, that's when we experience the joy. And so uh, that helped me a whole lot, probably more than any of the books. Uh, hearing that from him, because I, I just trust his voice so much. And 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 as he said it in that in that YouTube presentation. That made so much sense to me. Um, I love that. I love I, Dr. Jennings. You know, he's I'm a, I'm a big fan of Dr. Jennings and yeah, very influential. I actually interviewed him for the podcast too. <laughs> okay, he just gave some phenomenal advice. Um, I guess my last question for you, Dewey, is you find yourself now pastoring a church, correct? Yes. Yeah, we're pastoring a church now, and I guess my question is, are you happy? Did you, did you find joy? Well, I, I have found joy. 
And I don't think it's because uh, I'm pastoring. I, I think that's a part of it. It's something that I've longed to do. I, I pastored before this church. I pastored in Denver, Colorado. Uh, uh, but I, when I'm coming to North Carolina, it just didn't seem to be happening. So I, I would say I, I do have joy. Uh, being a pastor is part of that. I love to preach God from the time I was a teenager. God would just flood my mind and my heart with sermon ideas and concepts and a way to arrange sermons and put sermons together. I was a teenager and I had all this flooding into my spirit and uh, and to be able to get up and preach and to teach on a weekly basis, it it is satisfying to my spirit. So I'm glad to be uh, in the church pastoring and serving in this capacity. Um, and so I, I, I still go to prison. I still go to central prison. I still go to death row and about once a month and I'm able to share there. And that gives me a lot of joy. And I do other prison ministry. There's a prison ministry in the town where I pastor and we're reconnecting now that COVID is slowing its grip down on holding everybody out. And so that gives me a lot of joy. I've found that um, the experiences within the prison have been very satisfying to my spirit. So I would say, yes, uh, God God opened up the floodgate of joy and has poured it into my life. I think some of that comes from me pursuing it. I went after it. And in going after it, God showed me that it was there. And maybe I should have gone after it sooner, <laughs> you know, but uh, when I went after it, when I pursued it, when I'm reading about it and studying it and talking about it, uh, God uh, allowed joy to show up in stronger ways than I had been able to appreciate in days before. I love that. I love that, Dewey. Um, do you mind if I ask you one final question? Because you sure. may think like one, because I work with college students. I work with Generation Z, and what we're seeing in Generation Z is a lot of anxiety, higher rates of depression, and <clears throat> when you study kind of the, the, the social characteristics or the social pressures that they're under, you know, one can begin to understand, um, you know, why they're experiencing these kind of low level of, um, you know, mental health. So what kind of advice or what kind of words would you have specifically for Generation Z? Well, I, I think for uh, Generation Z and all emerging uh, young generations, I don't know what the next generation will be called, but the one that will come after them, uh, you know, I think there is a need to uh, find rest in who you are and what God would have you to be and who you can connect with. And I think some of that has to do with connecting with your own generation, but connecting with other generations also. I just think there's such a blessing when we uh, interconnect generationally. And I think we learn so much one from another. I never will forget I was in the home, I was a guest of a family and the daughter had gone off to college and she had grown up in this church where it was kind of an older congregation, older membership. 
and she was at college and now she was home for a weekend and she was saying she had joined a church in her college town and everybody is young <laughs> no old people like and she mentioned the church that her she grew up in <laughs> and and we had a conversation about you know sometimes the older need the younger and the younger need the older and i think there's something for the generation that is coming along now for them to understand that there's some wisdom and some knowledge that they need to gain and they need to look to and that God will show them as they move forward. There, there needs to be a level of trust. And um, one thing that I think also is important is to be honest with yourself and with others, regardless of your generation, just be honest. And I think that what you will get from that honesty is a return of truth. And uh, I think just pursue that and God will show you what you need to do. Great advice. You know, that's something I definitely see in Generation Z, but really not just Generation Z, but we tend to separate ourselves by generations, you know, the older not with the young, the young don't want to be with the old, you know, in this generational battle, but more interconnection, more intersectionality, as some folks say, I yeah. definitely agree. Um, well, thank you so much for your time, Dewey. You know, that's the end of today's podcast. I hope that people go and check out your book. Um, as I mentioned, if you're listening to this and you want a free copy of the book, we will be happy to send it to you. We'll send you a link where you can purchase the book and we're going to try to find some of these other links um, so you can listen to the sermons, read the sermons, and we'll even include a link there to Willie Jennings sermons if we can find it. Um, but brother, thank you so much. I pray that you continue to fight the good fight. <laughs> continue to spread the good news and i wish you an abundance of success in your book and joy as well and, and thank you so much for your time god bless you thank you very much for having me on thank you <laughs>